This episode of the Getting Better Now podcast is brought to you by Golf Genius Software. Less work, more fun, and more revenue. is the Getting Better Now podcast presented by the Golf Business Network, the show by golf professionals for golf professionals, profiling experts from inside and outside the golf industry to help you advance your career, make a lasting impact, and achieve your goals. Here's your host, PGA professional from St. David's Golf Club, Dean Candle. In this episode, we're back with part two of our conversation with the GM COO at Medina Country Club, Robert Sorecci. Robert has profiled his top 10 lessons they didn't teach you in school. And in part one, we covered lessons one through five. In lessons six through 10, we continue to discuss these critical success skills that can make or break your career. We get into the difference between coaching and mentoring and why you need to stop just being a coach as well as how putting the success of others first will put you on the path to success. If you haven't done it yet, follow Robert on LinkedIn, where he's taken the time to write many pieces and articles that will benefit anyone working in the club industry, whether you're on the golf side or the food and beverage side. So here it is, part two of our conversation with Robert Sorecci. I hope you enjoy it. So leading us into, we're talking about staff, we're talking about other people. The sixth point that you have in these 10 lessons is understand that your success is determined by others. Right. We all, I think we all know this um, on the surface, but uh, maybe we're not all living it at, at the club in our job. Now, so, you know, you guys are at a disadvantage as golf professionals. I mean, think about your training. Think about the game of golf, right? I mean, ultimately, how you shoot determines your score, right? And whether you do well or not. Uh, if you're teaching to support your income, right? Much of the income you make is determined by how much, how many lessons you give. And so a lot of your success climbing through the ranks has hinged on you personally, right? Yeah. So you, you're into this mindset that I am, I am uh, uh, responsible for my success. And as you go up the ladder, uh, guess what happens? Um, it's, it's the other way around. And for many, it is very difficult to kind of make that shift and to realize that, you know, now that I'm climbing up to being the golf pro director of golf or GM, uh, is the reverse is true. Single-handedly, Dean, me as the GM here, Medina, I mean, literally, I have very little control of my success. It's a fact. Uh, mm -hmm. When I meet my, my team, when I met them for the first time, or when I bring them on, I point blank tell them, the truth of the matter is, this is not my skill set. As Mar when Marty and I met, I said, Marty, I don't play golf. Golf is not my strength. This is your expertise. I genuinely, genuinely need your help and expertise to make this club successful. I need you to make me successful. Here's what I need from you in return. Here's what I'm going to help you with. So uh, your success literally hinges in the larger the organization, Dan. Think about that. If you have a club of 200 members with only you know, six direct reports or three direct reports, Maybe mm -hmm. you can touch a lot of members and kind of uh, get your uh, get yourself out there. But at Medina with a thousand members, or where I came from, the the American Club in Hong Kong, three thousand two hundred families spread across wow. two clubhouses. Right, my office mm -hmm. was in a third location. 
where do you even begin? Right? right. So you you cannot, you have to rely on people around you, systems, processes uh, uh, to make you successful. And that's very different from golf professionals who've disproportionately relied on their own skill to make them successful. You jump right into a management position and you've been, if you're, you were a superstar assistant pro at a great club and everybody loved you because you always did what you were supposed to do and you went above and beyond and people liked you and you're a good player. And then, and, and then you jump into <laughs> that management position and, you know, one, you're starting over, but two, like, they don't care what you shot the other day. Um, you can help some people one at a time on a lesson T or, but you're going to have less time to do that. It's, it's something that, uh, we're kind of have a renewed focus here, uh, at this club this year is trying to be more focused on everybody else. And this sounds bad, but not as focused on just servicing members. We need to be here for each other so that the service is better because when we're just kind of laser focused on on members, we forget about the other people uh, that we're working with and the operation uh, suffers because of it. And then if you're yeah. in a leadership position, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, well, just, I mean, just, to, just to tell you how important that is, at every club that I interview for, including Medina, uh, every time I say, just so we're clear to me, and it's in my cover letter, and it's always a topic of discussion. And this is, I genuinely mean this, that my team, will always be number one, will always be first priority. The members will always be number two. It's, mm -hmm. it's just a fact. And usually 99% of the time, they're a little bit startled. They say, wait a minute. We it's like sacrilegious. You, you work for us. It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And, and you have to, once you explain to them that, look, as the GM, I can only touch 10, 15, 20 people a day, right? It will not make a dent. But if I work on my team, who are the professionals, and we work on the culture, to, to work with the 400 people that we have in the season. That's how you transform an organization. I can't go walk around behind presidents and board members, which a lot of people make the mistake of doing. They follow their presidents or the director or the chairman of the golf committee and they kind of follow him and make sure he's happy. Wrong approach, wrong approach. Uh, so it's about the culture of the employees, your team, because if they're healthy, you take care of them, exponentially more people can be affected in the membership. So hearing you talk and reading some of your your uh, your material put out, I have this kind of this is just kind of a personal question that that Robert doesn't necessarily. I don't want to say this wrong, and and but uh, it's not that you don't care what people think, right? But you have you're not you're not just saying something like you said in a cover letter, or it sounds like in a board meeting, just to say what they want to hear. You have absolutely what you believe in is right to get the job done and you're not afraid to to stand by that um so y yes uh but by the same token by the same token um there's many clubs where i have not been invited to uh, um interview <laughs> right. uh i i it's easy for me to say to that but there is a lot of uh there's a, a tremendous amount of peril that comes with it Right. Mm -hmm. um, speaking and standing by your principles and by your values is very noble, but you have to be prepared. You have to be prepared uh, to live with with the uh, unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. And what happens is people will then interview and say all the right things. Right. All the right yeah. things. 
because you want to be at this XYZ prestigious club, top 50 or whatever it is. And you don't, mm-hmm. you don't, you just dismiss everything else. Uh, and then you have a rude awakening that the culture you're in is not what you expect. Life's too short for me, right? I'm very clear as to what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are, the kind of environment that I can bring value to the club. And I just want to be clear. So at every club, I specifically mm-hmm. outline, am I a good fit for you? Do you have the skills? Do you have the, can I help the club? Can, are you a good fit for me? So I, I, I kind of don't because I want to make sure that the club and I are a good fit. And if we're not, that's right. okay. That's okay. I'm being fair mm-hmm. to the club and myself. Mm-hmm. So moving on then to number seven, we have a few left here. And this is kind of something that we touched on before is that, you know, as you move up the the ladder, your technical skills are are less important. So it's easy to put that in the golf professional perspective as, as we were kind of doing. So then what... What are the skills that become more critical as you see it? As it not the vocational skills, the teaching tournaments, merchandising. What what do we need then to to succeed as we move up in your mind? If um, if you listen to Copeland and Keebler, uh, Kirk Keebler, who's with Copeland Keebler and uh, Wallace, mm-hmm. uh, the you know the premier headhunting firm, he will tell you that the average uh, tenure for the GM is roughly three to five years. Uh, at a, a kind of a club where the governance is not right. If the club governance is correct, it's somewhere around eight years. But I asked him, why is that? And he said, Robert, it's strictly because they like the EQ skills, right? Rather than the IQ. It's the EQ. It's those softer skills, the EQ skills of self-awareness, situational awareness, right? Uh, those are mm-hmm. the skills that people lack. And so the the these are the ones they don't kind of teach you in school, right? Sure. And even more important, you guys are at a disadvantage again because you guys have had to rely on your skill set, right? And now you're playing a different game with a different scorecard and you're, you're expected to perfect and rely on your EQ skills, right? And mm-hmm. so that's the, that's the challenge. It's, all, it's not about how talented you are as a golfer, how good of a chef you are. Uh, there's plenty of good directors of golf that have worked at great clubs but have not done well, probably because it's because they didn't have the right skill set to uh, to evaluate the culture, to get to fit the employee culture, the member culture. But yet they have an incredible pedigree and think, how can that be? Right? Happens in golf. Happens with executive chefs. Happens with GMs. Very qualified GMs that go to these prestigious clubs. They they don't do well. It's because the skill set they had was not applicable and appropriate for the club they were now uh, working in. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. the that's the that's the big that's the big challenge. How do you think we can get better at that that EQ? Whether you know those critical, you know, they're not even soft skills; they're they're critical skills, um, right. as as we've said. But how is are there way? Have you coached people through that, or how have you gotten better at that yourself? So well, I think one of the things, for example, why I care deeply for Marty D'Angelo, our director of golf, is because he understands. I think he's made an incredible uh, transition as our director of golf, and an, I might say a very successful one. Mm-hmm. Marty's role is really to be has a, he has a very important seat at the table with me. He, Marty's my my expectations of Marty is more of a strategic thinker as a business person and a leader. When Marty and I have our weekly one-on-ones, we don't talk a whole lot about operations. 
We really don't, right? We talk about mm -hmm. the big stuff, right? Marty's department is single-handedly the most responsible for bringing the revenues that run our club other than dues, right? So mm -hmm. he has a massive economic engine that he has to run, but also he has to grow the game. He has to get more people to enjoy the game, run the game. His value and what he brings to the table is more from an executive function than it is a vocational function. Marty is the one right. who developed uh, the, the program he's just unveiling now, the uh, Golf for Life program, a graduated skills program. That's Marty's contribution to Medina and to the game. Marty's contribution to how we structure things differently uh, with, so he brings a different element and he has gained credibility, Dean, as not mm -hmm. the golf pro or the director of golf, but as a business person. Now, mm -hmm. we've had to work on that. So you guys need to make sure that you're not perceived as the golf gal or the golf girl, right? Find every opportunity you can at your every golf committee that you go to, whatever you do, do not give a verbal report ever make sure that mm -hmm. your chairman understands that you always sit by the chairman never sit at the other side sit right by your chairman mm -hmm. always have a pdf i mean excuse me a powerpoint you run the meeting start with a powerpoint provide structure and demonstrate to them that you know how to run meetings too anytime you run into a challenge in the uh in your golf operation right anything that's a challenge that uh, you can write something. I write a lot of white papers. The white right. papers, if golf professionals start writing those white papers, that's one way you can demonstrate to the board and your committee that, wow, this gal or this girl or guy is more, he's, he's really articulate. He understands how to structure problems and methodically lead us to a conclusion. You can't do that orally. You have to write. And there's nothing more powerful than a written document to kind of demonstrate your value as an executive. As GMs, yeah. I have to do that because they don't come to me for wine selections or teach them golf. I don't even play golf. So they don't even bother talking to me about golf. So how do I as a GM value add value? I write white papers. I add structure. I work on governance. I, so all this writing, when they see this writing, they go, wow, I guess this guy does know what he's talking about. This is how you, you, you uh, provide confidence to your board and to your committee that you're just not a guy who teaches lessons. You're a golf mm -hmm. professional and an executive who thinks strategically. And I think you guys uh, have a great opportunity. Certainly, because that's not really a part of what we do. It's not a part of our training. And, and that's not an excuse, but it's it's just not been been the way. But as as we you know move through our careers and we're looking for better opportunities or as we're having conversations in the industry about creating more value uh, and improving our jobs and and what everybody's paid i mean this is a you know part of what could be a roadmap to start going down that road so that yeah. we're providing more value you you have to first make sure that you you understand that concept and then chances are you probably don't have those skills but this yeah. is why education is so important. If you don't understand about decision trees and problems and symptoms, books are written all over about that. How do you mm -hmm. disseminate problems? How to structure white papers? How to develop uh, uh, hypotheses? How to test hypotheses? How to disprove? I mean, this is where you need to get educated. Sure, read Golf Digest. Read all that great stuff about the new drivers coming out. But trust me, if you want to climb the ladder, you know the latest drivers. It's not going to add value at the board. <laughs> right, right.
So that's something that if you have a conscious, you have to make a conscious effort. If you do want to climb the ladder, uh, mm -hmm. you have to completely change how you view yourself, the value and the, the, what you need to learn and grow. I hope that you're enjoying this interview. Let's take a minute to hear from our sponsor, Golf Genius. It's time to say goodbye to three ring binders in your golf shop. Golf Genius Software's new product called Golf Shop helps golf professionals save time, eliminate paperwork, and deliver exceptional service to their club members. Golf Shop streamlines special orders, tracks demo clubs, and automates member communication. It's also designed to end the long-standing reliance on three-ring binders, notepads, spreadsheets, and other older and less efficient methods of managing Golf Shop workflow. Simon J. Buckle, he's the PGA head professional at Brook Hollow Golf Club, commented that Golf Genius Golf Shop has streamlined the way we handle special orders. All the order details are in one place and are quickly accessible. We can stay one step ahead of any issues automatically, keeping members informed about the progress of their order and deliver excellent service to our membership. As somebody who's been using this product as well, I agree with that 100%. And GBN members receive special pricing through 2019 on Golf Genius Golf Shop. To learn more about Golf Genius Golf Shop, go to golfgenius.com. Now back to our interview. So you're doing a little bit of uh, coaching and mentoring through <laughs> through this podcast for all of us golf pros who are listening. But in number eight, you say, stop coaching and start mentoring. I think I have an idea of what this means, but can tell us all what, uh, what's the difference? So the biggest difference is uh, basically coaching is instructional based, right? Mm -hmm. When you coach, you give instructions to your employees on how to get to a certain destination or how to get things done, right? Mentoring is you helping your, your, your management team talking through things to where they can come to a de that destination or a destination on their own, right? Mm -hmm. Coaching is quick. It's play. It's it's by the book. It's uh, it's calling the plays, getting this done. Mentoring is relationship based. It's, it dives deeper. It's a little bit more time consuming. A little emotional grueling. Uh, and but ultimately, it's about letting your uh, mentee or whether it's your um, your number twos, they have to come to that decision or destination on their on their own. And again, for you guys, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, because you guys are all about transfer of skills. That's kind of how mm -hmm. you got trained, right? I have skills. I'll transfer those skills to you. Uh, and it's worked well for a long time. But now that you're a, now that you're a director of golf and you want to become a GM, uh, you can't do that because your team doesn't care about your, your golf skills, right? Mm -hmm. um, so in, in my case, think about that, Dean. In my case, I have Marty D'Angelo, uh, an incredible uh, director of golf. I have Steve Cook, who I just brought on board from Oakland Hills as a superintendent. I have Mark uh, Yablonskin, my assistant GM, who's got more initials after his name for wine and food. And <laughs> I mean, how do I, how do I even begin to coach these people? What, what do you, I mean, seriously? Right? right. So what you tell them is basically, look, you know more than I do. You provide value. Here's what I'm going to add value to you. I'm going to mentor you. I'm going to help you hone in those EQ skills because I want to see you grow as professional and as a person. And that's a commitment I make to every team member I hire. I say, if you're not a better person and not a better professional because of me, a year from now, when we do my review, I have failed you. So that's the commitment that I make to them. So mentoring is my style. 
because I don't know whether he should verify the greens or not. How am I going to tell him that? Or Marty Mm -hmm. with, you know, so what I do is I ask him questions. I have him reflect on things. I have him go maybe uh, think of a hypothesis that he might have and how do we disprove it? But what do you think it could be, Marty? How do we make sure that it isn't? And I walk him through that. Eventually, they all come to the uh, decision on their own and I'm there to support them and clear the path for them so they can implement whatever it is that, and I'll worry about the politics, I'll worry about the board, but their job is to kind of get to their destination on their own. Right, which means now they've improved, they're better at, at how they're going to handle something like that next time, and you're not, you're not coaching them again. If, if you, I guess you could say that if you're coaching, you're going you're gonna to always be coaching, but if you're right. mentoring, you're not going to be solving these same problems for that person again. Because we're, we're addressing principles, right? They, yeah. We're trying to understand principles, and then ultimately they apply those on their own. And they don't have mm-hmm. to come to me. Once we, we talk, we, we argue and discuss principles most of the time. So in the next one, we talk about your club governance model. It's more important than you realize. Now, this might be something that might, well, I don't know. I'll ask you, is this, is this more relevant to uh, a general manager than it is uh, a head golf professional or director of golf? Or uh, we it, all need It's to the take, same. Yeah. All the same. I mean, uh, you know, um, there is, for example, if you come, um, if you come from a uh, club that has the what we, what we call the three-headed monster, right, where you were mm-hmm. one of three, you were the clubhouse manager, the director of golf, and the superintendent, all reported to the president, right, and that's the model yeah. you were comfortable with. Now you go to the you know top fifty X Y Z club where they follow the COO model like we do. Um, unless you understand how that governance model works, you're gonna have a very, very, very difficult time. Uh, being mm-hmm. successful in that environment because now you don't go to the president. You don't go to your director of golf. You go through the COO because ultimately he's the leader of the organization and you're going to collaborate and work with him or with her to get things done. So if you don't understand that very well, it's going to be very painful for you and for mm-hmm. your boss. So I think it's applicable also that some clubs are very committee driven. Even if they have a COO, some clubs are extremely committee driven, right? So if you come yeah. from a club like at Medina, we are, we are granted so much leeway. We are, we are truly um, granted the permission, the responsibility and authority to run this club day to day. We are very, very, very blessed. And I keep reminding the team of that. Marty runs the golf department. Marty does so much uh, to make that club run. But if he goes to a club, if he decides to move to a club that's you know, a higher prestige or a different location, and he finds out that in that club, the golf, the, the committee actually runs everything. Uh, mm-hmm. It's going to be hard for him because he's not going to do well in that department. I know Marty functions well when he has the autonomy, the autonomy and the leeway to make decisions to move forward. And he likes to take risks because we, we believe in taking risks here, right? Because that's how we move forward. But if you go to a club where they run the place, they hire the people, the assistant pros and the committee. Uh, is averse to risk-taking and being, well, guess what? Um, You're not going to do well. And all of that governance structure, again, is no good or bad. Every club is different. Whatever works for that club, you just have to know going in with your eyes wide open that this is the model, this is the structure, and can you be successful uh, in that governance model? doesn't matter what the club, whoever the club is. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So I see that it is critical. We obviously have to know that and we have to be able to work well with whatever, with the governance structure that's at our club. But as you said, some people are going to work better in one situation versus another. As we move on to the last one, we have talked about this. It's kind of been uh, a theme of all this. I think that uh, you pointed out that, again, it's not about you and it never was. Uh, being comfortable with little to no recognition, that is really, um, that can be life sometimes in, in at a private club, can it? It, it, it can it can and you know how frustrating that is I, I, again i go back to you guys you know chefs as well right i mean they're like you know there's the celebrated and their chef's nights and their pictures are everywhere i mean pictures are everywhere the, the director of golf you know his name is on the card you mean director he's on the he's, he's teaching members he's playing with members you don't see a lot of pictures of gms on anything right, <laughs> right. i mean it just right so it's a definitely different mindset and then you get there to your new club and you're the director of golf and all of a sudden you want all this recognition. And then next thing you know, it's these uh, folks that have been there for the club for 20, 30 years, be it the locker room, be it uh, whoever it is, right? And you're like, wait a minute, how come they're getting so much attention? Don't they know I'm the director of golf? It's like, you know, what do you mean? Why did they go to this guy for, for tea times? I'm the director of golf. And what mm -hmm. happens is we know, right? Every club has their sacred cows. It's a matter of life, right? Yep. And you have to learn how to work within that structure, how to work with them, because more often than not, they're there to help you, not ruin you. So you have to know kind of how to work with them. But what happens is if you're, you come in and you want so much recognition and you realize that these guys that are lower level employees are getting all this attention and their members are just ooing and aahing and just all they talk about is these folks and it irritates you, right? It becomes personal. And people mm -hmm. with big egos, it just eats them up alive. And what it forces you to do is start tackling and fighting problems that will never exist because it becomes personal. Well, if you don't worry about recognition and you focus on the, the task at hand, which is to whatever you are hired to do, right? Im improve the golf operation, get more people to play golf or focus on that. Getting recognition is not part of the game plan. And if you look to get it, chances are you're going to make mistakes and make decisions that are going to have unintended consequences. So egos are a big, big uh, issue in private clubs. And in general, if you have a big ego, uh, again, uh, chances are uh, you're going to lose. And like I said, I see our jobs is like Moses, right? We have a responsibility to the membership to take them from one place to the next. And as a director of golf, you have to take them from here to the promised land right? That's your job. And you're not going to, you're not a member of the club. You're not a member of the promised land. You're not going to enjoy it. And that's the point. You take them there and you take a step back and then you go to the next journey. It's not about recognition. It's servant leadership. You have a different responsibility to your team. If you're not improving the lives of the people that you work with and you're for, why are you there, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about how many drivers you sold. It's not about that because those things come and go. Right. And if you are riding on the coattails of your XYZ club, guess what? When you move, that XYZ club stays there. And if they, if they only know you because you are at the XYZ club, that's not a good sign. They should talk about you first and the impact you made in the people's lives that you're entrusted with. So when you leave, they will mourn you. Right. And they'll follow you. But it's, it's something that you have to kind of put a different set of glasses on and reevaluate. How do you judge your success? Not accomplishments. Forget your PGA 
certifications and merchandiser of the year, that is not success. That's an accomplishment. Put that aside. Because you can have all the, the achievements on the planet and still not be successful. We know plenty of uh, professional athletes that fall into this category, right? So don't worry about accomplishments. Don't confuse the two. What is success to you? For me, it's, again, improving the lives of the people that I work with and for. And if I can do that, then I don't care how, what recognition or I don't get or do get. That's not important. As long as I stay true to my mission and my, my purpose. And I think that mission is perfect for mostly all of us in this business because we are here for the people. As we talked about, we're here for the people that we work with. We're here for the people that are at our club and making a positive impact on them. Uh, it's critical. It's something that we need to stay focused on. And as I uh, look at what we were talking about today, that's you know the the huge lesson that I take out of these 10 different lessons is that we need to be committed to making a positive impact uh, every day on all the people that we can touch. So yeah. it's that was yeah. a, gr a great lessons for all of us, Robert. And to have somebody with your experience uh, at your level come on and and help us all, I truly appreciate it and can't thank you enough for your time. I know everybody's going to get a lot of value from this. Dan, I mean, I, I want to give you credit for actually reaching out. Uh, and again, I think speaks volumes about you and your mindset and your your recognition of the skill set that I required. The very nature of why this podcast exists is commendable. And the fact that you reach out, I think, speaks volume of you and your purpose, which is, I looks like it is to improve the professional lives and the lives of the the of the pros. So, uh, thank you for reaching out, and I commend you for your effort. I truly appreciate that. I really mean that. And thanks again for your time. I look forward to having you on again sometime. Anytime. Thanks, Thank you so much. This was the Getting Better Now podcast presented by the Golf Business Network. Head over to iTunes to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and be sure to rate and review while you're there. For more information, go to golfbusinessnetwork.com.